When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how to team? Um, my name's TJ. I'm calling because I have a question, a problem to solve. I want to know how to forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness. They say forgiveness is for yourself and it helps you move on from things. And I'm ready to forgive somebody, but I don't really know what that looks like. Welcome to How To, the show where we take your thorniest questions, questions that Google cannot answer, and try to tackle them with the wisest people we can find. I'm Amanda Ripley. Today, we're going to grapple with the message you just heard, which TJ left on our How To hotline. She's 35 years old now, but still reckoning with things that happened when she was much younger. My father was in and out of prison, so my mom was the one who raised us for a while until she went to prison. My parents are drug addicts. My father did pass away when I was nine. My mother continued using, and she was a parent at 17. So, you know, she was a little busy partying to be a parent. TJ says her mom had grown up with her own alcoholic mother. And after having TJ at 17, she had two more kids. And it was a constant struggle. This is where we should probably mention that this episode will touch on child abuse, neglect, and suicide. We grew up in the projects. We've had people, you know, coming in and out of our home, robbing us. My mother allowed unspeakable things to happen to my sister and I, um, complete neglect. um, And we kind of had to grow up really quickly and take care of ourselves. From a young age then, TJ stepped into that caregiving role for her siblings, dropping out of school to help keep a roof over their heads. I had three jobs. I did all the things I needed to do. I was always hustling, always trying to pay the bills and always trying to take care of everything. And I had so much anger for this woman because she stole everything from me. I felt that I was robbed of a childhood. But even so, it was still extremely hard for TJ to give up on her mom. We're a very, very close Chicano family, and you don't abandon your family. You take Mm -hmm. care of your family. And so a lot of people were pushing me to be, like, the bigger person and to take care of her. And she's sick and all of these things. But eventually I couldn't couldn't be around her because every time I would get around her, I would feel so— violently angry I Mm. would literally be violent and I just knew that wasn't serving me anymore I finally went no contact with her through the permission of one of my therapists she's like you know you can love people from a distance Mm. that just blew my mind she like Mm. literally gave you permission to say you don't have to talk to anybody you don't want to talk to you're a grown woman and I'm like oh okay how long ago was that TJ so it's been about 11 years And it was crazy, like, the second I was away from her, like, just everything felt different. And just the idea of her not being a part of my daily life just changed everything. I have a very long history of suicide attempts starting from the age of 12. After she was gone, I, like, 
didn't feel like killing myself anymore. Over the years, TJ dove headfirst into therapy, working to process her difficult childhood and learning to love herself. If somebody's like, oh, you should try this therapy, I would, and I would research different um, modalities. And, you know, I did EMDR, CBT, uh, DBT, done everything. You All know. the acronyms. <laughs> yeah. And even though this work led her to distance herself from her mother, she remained very connected to her brother and sister. I was 100% the mama. They gave me Mother's Day cards. Uh, my brother, when he was little, called me mom. I don't know, it's overwhelming sometimes the way they talk to me. But um, hmm. but yeah. Are you I, still close with them? I'm at my brother's house recording right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, his kids just stayed with me for the weekend. Uh, we oh. are all very, very close still. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah, there's nothing that can tear us apart. Even after doing all of this work, TJ still carries a lot of resentment for her mother. And that burden is weighing her down. My sister and my brother both have a couple of kids each, and just watching these kids and being part of their lives, and just, I just, I'm completely disgusted how anyone can treat children the way that we were treated. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna cry. Talk to children the way that we were talked to. I can't wrap my head around it, and I'm disgusted with how she's how she's acted. I'm disgusted with the fact that she still can't take accountability for anything. She doesn't think she's done anything wrong. She really doesn't. She thinks that she's was a great mother <laughs> and that we had it better than she had it, so that's fine. But uh, I just, I can't let people in. I just, she, she hurt me so much that I just don't trust anyone and I feel like I need to mend that before I can trust people. <laughs> So on today's show, we're going to reckon with a really hard human problem. How do you forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness and probably hasn't earned it either? Can you do it anyway for your own sake? Don't go anywhere. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Our guide for this episode is journalist Marina Cantacuzino. Marina's latest book is called Forgiveness, an Exploration. 
She spent decades collecting the stories of victims, survivors, and perpetrators of crimes and conflicts in order to better understand how people can recover and rebuild. That project eventually turned into a renowned charity called the Forgiveness Project. So for Marina, TJ's story of wanting so badly to forgive her mother and move on, but not being able to, was very familiar. Um, it's really a story of pain and of chaos, I felt. And I was right there with you, TJ. And I yeah, just want to say thank you for your honesty and bravery. I mean, when you said about your therapist, having said you can love your mother from a distance, I immediately thought of something I heard Archbishop Desmond Tutu say, which, you know, he was actually a, a founding patron of the Forgiveness Project, even though it's not um, a religious or Christian organisation. And he said, you can forgive and release a relationship and you can forgive and renew a relationship. And there's neither one is right or one is wrong. It's entirely up to you. What keeps you safe? And he said, don't be a masochist. Don't feel you need to reconcile you know, you can still forgive and have nothing to do with that person because it's what's happening in your heart. I'm just wondering, what do you want to change? Because forgiveness for me is letting go, acceptance, but it's more than that. It requires absolutely a degree of compassion and empathy for the person who's hurt you. I, um, I do feel like things are changed and my heart is different and... Um, my hatred for her was so, uh, so, so intense. My sister and I would, we'd buy thank you cards from the store and mail them to her and say, thank you for destroying our lives and ruining our childhoods. And, um, you know, just anything we could do to hurt her. Um, I kind of felt like maybe I was starting to pity her a little bit, but the thing I'm looking for, I guess most is that this affects my relationships, my personal relationships, my friendships, and my romantic relationships. I feel like I'm not going to have a fulfilled life if I can't, if I can't have relationships. And that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of it for me is, and even with my, even with my nieces and nephews, I feel like when I get too close to them, I pull away, you know? Yes, that makes total sense. And I can see that the fact that your, your mother hasn't at any point taken responsibility and hasn't said sorry or asked for forgiveness is is an extra wound. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she wrote my sister an apology letter so that so that she would let her meet the kids. So that's hurts too. It's like so you'll apologize to them because there's something you want from them, but you don't need anything from me anymore. Is there a way that you can see your mother as? so damaged that she's unable to do anything better or behave in ways that you would expect her to behave? Yeah, I um, I think that sometimes, but then I just, I look at all the work I've done for myself with no guidance, no one telling me to do this or telling me to do that, me just seeking it out to find happiness on my own. And then it just makes me look at her like she's so pathetic, you know? I think people do let us down throughout life. When it's our parents who let us down, you know, the wound is is huge. But forgiveness is all about letting go of the expectation that people won't let us down 
Um, And I think your story is kind of familiar to me in that many of the people whose stories I've collected is about family pain and often about fathers and mothers. I think stories stick in the way that facts fade. I think therapy is incredibly helpful, but it's on a totally different level. I don't think there's a, a, a manual or a playbook about how to forgive. Yeah. Um, would it be all right at this stage just to tell you about how others maybe have done it? Yeah, because I've literally exhausted my, like, Googling <laughs> to yeah. find, like, someone that has like made it out and and can like wave to me at the end of the tunnel you know (laughs) like I find those stories really helpful too like people who've been through it and you've been through a lot you're almost through the woods but there's still one last dark stretch it sounds like and before Marina you you tell us some stories I wonder if we could just pause for a second and talk about what forgiveness is and I imagine there's many different kinds of forgiveness depending on the person What I'm hearing from you, TJ, so far is that you would like to give your mother less power over you, to have her take up less real estate in your head so that you can have intimate relationships beyond her that don't leave you in a defensive posture. Is that right? (laughs) So, so right. Okay. Uh, Marina, did you want to say anything about what forgiveness is? Yeah, I'll just talk a little bit around it, maybe, because, you know, whole books and treatises have been written about what forgiveness is. But I think the reason I'm interested in it is transformational, and it gives you the power to not make dark events the central narrative of your life. And it's kind of counterintuitive in that you let go of the anger and the hurt and the pain by doing the complete opposite of what you feel like doing which is focusing on compassion and kindness and gratitude. That's why it's so hard. And I think pain is the great motivator to forgive. This is why TJ wants to forgive. She's in pain and she knows it can release that pain. This is hugely important that she wants to forgive because I'm absolutely convinced that TJ, you will get to a place of peace. It just takes time, takes a lot of time. And it's already taken you a lot of time, I know. But you will get there. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Here's our first insight. Forgiveness is usually thought of as a selfless act, which makes sense. I mean, you're giving someone who hurt you compassion. But what if we start to think of it as an act of self-protection? An attempt to let go of heavy resentment that you've been carrying the kind of pain that can take a mental and physical toll. It can't change the facts. The facts will remain the same, but you can change the way you see those facts. Often it actually requires a decision. It's quite interesting. Occasionally it comes intuitively, almost magically. It's there as a response to being absolutely determined to put values of compassion into the world where hate has been and people just feel it in their body, but that's very rare. Much more often, it's taken years to get to a place where a decision is made, where you line yourself up to forgive and you invite it in. Someone said this to me once, whose sister was murdered by a serial killer. She said, I line myself up to forgive. One day I might forgive, and the next day I might hate all over again. And I thought that was important, because I think there's a tendency to think there's this magical space you'll arrive at where everything will be fixed and okay 
And actually, you know, we're human, we get triggered. And, and But the space will change and shift and you'll feel it more and it will open your heart. And as Amanda said, you know, it is resentment is kind of a heavy burden to carry. And all the research out there, this is why people have been telling you, you must forgive, it's good for you. And it is true that all the research out there shows that people who can forgive have less depression, have better relationships, have lower heart rates, have less cardiovascular disease, live longer and are basically happier and have better mental health. So, you know, it's a very, very useful public health tool. And in many respects, it's strange that it's not spoken more about by politicians and taught in schools. And the last thing I'll just say about forgiveness, I think, is that something has to die in order to forgive. And that that might be a hard-won sense of power. It might be righteous anger. But something has to die and you have to surrender. Yeah. It makes sense that something has to die because that's how I feel. I feel like I just sh- keep shedding things and that's that's what's changing things for me, you know? Like letting go of the idea that she's ever going to get better or change or take accountability. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> so here's our next insight. Sometimes the best we can do is to open ourselves up to the possibility of forgiveness, to line up for it, as Marina says. And sometimes we have to find a creative way to actually give ourselves the apology we've been waiting for. It's a book I read called The Apology. I think it's extraordinary. Eve Ensler, now known as V, she wrote the vagina monologues, for those that don't know. And she was... um, sexually abused and raped by her father um, and it destroyed her essentially and he died when she was an adult and years later she wrote this book and it's an imagined apology written in the voice of her father she was able to release uh, the pain that she was feeling that she was actually able to stand in his shoes and she understood him She describes it as a letter from the other side. And it was able to shift the story in a way that found a new ending. I wondered if it was something that is worth considering because other people have done it as well that I've spoken to, writing in the voice of the person that's hurt you to try to understand where they're coming from. Because another man said to me, um, whose father was an alcoholic, and, you know, he you know, was able to see it as a family disease. And he said, it wasn't until I was able to see that my father was sick and his behaviour came from the fact that he hated himself that I was able to find compassion for him. Now, I'm sure you've talked about all this in therapy many times. You know, other times when you feel you've got less anger and maybe an iota, I sometimes talk about an iota of compassion. It doesn't have to be great swathes of it you know it could just be a tiny little hint of it so uh my mom it was really young when she had me she was absolutely gorgeous and um i you know being a little girl i'm like oh my gosh my mom is so beautiful just thought my mom was so pretty and perfect you know how kids do and um she just you know her teeth started falling out and her hair is super thin. And it started when she was really young. And so, I don't know, that made me feel bad for her. Well, when you were talking about um, your mother, 
I go back to what I was told by Marion Partington, whose sister was murdered by a serial killer. She lines herself up for forgiveness every day. She opens her heart to it, and sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. She went to the trial, and the wife, the husband committed suicide in prison, and the wife went on trial. And she said she felt compassion for her because she describes it as this woman having the impoverishment of a soul who knew no other way of being than through terrible cruelty. And by having that sort of compassion for this woman who'd done the most terrible things, she was able to live and breathe again um, as a broken person who had loved her sister so much. And I just... I mean, that, that's why I keep coming back to this terribly difficult thing of compassion and empathy for the person who's hurt you. It's the hardest thing ever, but it sort of has to be achieved. So it sounds like you're saying this thing of empathy and compassion for a person who is, was a, and is a threat to you is a kind of next level, you know, Iron Man of the heart, like very hard to to achieve for all the reasons we've discussed. And sometimes what happens is something happens externally out of your control. Um, and that shifts things just enough to open a space. But in the meantime, instead of just, you know, waiting for that, I like this idea of lining up, you know, I'm open to it. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to fake it, but I'm, I'm going to get in line and see if I make it to the front. Is that what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Huh. It's a subtle thing. What do you think about that, TJ? I love that. I think it's beautiful. Um, I learned to hate myself watching my mom just hate herself so much. And it took a lot for me to learn how to love myself and to actually put that into action and do that every day and decide I'm going to love myself today. And it feels like I can, you know, do something similar with this idea of forgiveness. I guess the compassion part for me could really stem... Um, from the self-love. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th, my colleague Mark Joseph Stern and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. We're back with our listener, TJ, and our expert, Marina Cantacuzino. One of my favorite quotes in Marina's book comes from Mark Twain. 
He said that forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. The reason I really like that is that it shows that forgiveness grows out of damage, that it's messy, but it's a potentially a healing balm. I think it's a beautiful description. Hmm. Right, it's unexpected, right? You don't expect this violence to come at the end of that quote, and that it also you realize that that's probably right. Yeah, there's nothing clean about forgiveness, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. It's like it needs a rebranding. Like the hallmark definition of forgiveness is just not that useful. No. Yeah. But if you search for forgiveness on Twitter, you'll just get some very sort of anodyne little, you Uh know, motivational quotes that actually leave me completely cold because they're just not real. Yeah. It makes me think forgiveness isn't for me. Yeah. This is what it looks like. Right. Well, that's that's my issue is like me Googling myself all the time, trying to figure out how to do this next step. I'm like, none of this is, I, this isn't tangible for me. None mm. of this. I was interested at the beginning, TJ was sort of saying, people saying, you must do it. You have to do it. You know, I would warn against that, really. You don't have to forgive. Absolutely not. You can say, and people often do say, I do not forgive and I do not forget. But I have some understanding and compassion for the person who did this to me. I've heard that said many times, and those are very at-peace people, if you like, but they don't choose to use the word forgiveness. So I would say don't feel bad about yourself if you can't forgive. Just edge your way towards understanding. Yeah. I really like the idea of of looking at this whole thing as an exploration versus another objective something I have to check off, you know. Marina, I think it was in one of your books you said that forgiveness is the principal decision to give up your justified right for revenge. Yes. Yeah, and that is a decision and a choice very often. But as we're talking, I'm just looking at um, Fred Luskin's book called Forgive for Good. And he's he's got some a quite a nice idea here where he's talking about how we can improve our reception to forgiveness. And he calls it the forgiveness channel. Um, And he says, and this is some of the ideas, he says, look for people who have forgiven others, ask them to tell you their stories. Remember when you have forgiven yourself, remind yourself you can do it. Read books and stories about people who have forgiven. See if there are any forgiveness stories in your family. Practice forgiving the little offences against you. Um, Notice how often you naturally forgive those you love, you know, etc. He's got about 10 points there, but I quite like that idea about... You know, it's almost like when you're very good, TJ, at training yourself, it seems. It seems you sort of rigorously have learnt to love yourself, which is extraordinary. I'm a very disciplined woman. Yeah. So you could take this on as a project almost. Yeah. It's funny. He also says it sounds like you're tuning into a channel. You're trying to get receptive to the signals. And you also said in your book, forgiveness is different from reconciliation. Can you help us understand the difference there? (laughs) Yes, it definitely is, because you don't have to reconcile with the person who's hurt you. You kind of have to reconcile with yourself, and you're hurt, yes, but Mm -hmm. it's an internal thing. And I think in TJ's side, she's very clear that she doesn't need this relationship, and she doesn't want it, and she's Mm -hmm. far better off for having released it. And so it's about reconciling with the pain. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, and I will just share one other story do, yeah. just quickly that I do write about briefly in my book. He's a quite a well-known footballer. He's a pundit now. He was a famous footballer called Ian Wright. He's spoken about forgiveness for his mother, 
who emotionally abused him throughout his childhood. And he said, you know, you get stuck with things when you're young and they cause terrible problems for you when you're older. And he became quite well known for being violent on the on the football pitch. And then, and then they made a documentary about his life. It wasn't only about this aspect of his life, but in the documentary, he starts. He goes to meet people who had violent behaviour and emotionally were abusive to their loved ones, who were trying to change on various therapy courses. And he met them and he talked to them about their their damaged childhoods, and he began to understand the cycle of abuse. Um, and then he he talked about forgiveness as a, as a transformational tool, and he and how he no longer felt powerless. And he said, "I'm slowly and surely forgiving my mother, simply because I have to accept that whatever her journey was, she's not been able to deal with it in the way that I've been able to deal with all the difficult things in my life." And he sort of concludes that he has to move on, you know, for his own children's sake, so he doesn't repeat the patterns and the pain. That was a decision he made, you know, and it took decades. Yeah. What you have done already is interrupt this cycle. And, yeah. And your nieces and nephews will always have you as yeah. someone they can be with. Oh, they do. Here's our next insight. One way to find understanding for your own demons is to try to understand other people's demons. That's the power of hearing stories Marina has found. And in those stories, we can sometimes start to imagine a different path for ourselves. My brother got married last month and she was there and I worked with my therapist for two months to be able to be in the same room as this person I haven't been in the same room with for Mm -hmm. years. And we kind of worked through, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario, put some mantras together. That was really good. But what was a mantra that you came up with? The mantra was, um, I'm here to celebrate my brother's family. I respect my brother's decisions and I'm just here to have fun. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So it wasn't like, don't do this. Don't do that. Right. And respecting my brother's choice to have her there, you know, so it doesn't become... Mm some weird animosity between the two of us. And in perfect form, she threw a fit and had to be escorted out of the reception. (laughs) Um, How did you experience all of that? Oh my gosh. I was nervous, but like, I just was like, you got this, you've got this. And I felt like this is my final boss. I'm a gamer. So I'm like, this is my final Ah. boss. Like I've been training this whole time. I've done all these missions, you know, and this is my final boss and I'm facing my final boss. And that's how I kind of looked at it. And uh, I love that. I love that mindset. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it felt really good. And I was high for like three days after that. I'm just like, I am so amazing. I'm invincible. I can do anything. So TJ has already proved that she can deal with her mom on some level. But on those days where she really gets down about it, Marina has some suggestions. I think the key things to start everything rolling is curiosity and perspective change. The one leads to the other. Unforgiving people are very black and white in the way they see the world. and They've made up Mm. their mind about most things. And there's a right and there's a wrong. And if you cross it, you're finished. Forgiving people have flexible minds. They know that life is morally complicated. And they also 
I think having curiosity really indicates a recognition that you don't have everyone figured out. So I suppose what I'm saying is to edge your way towards understanding to this person who's hurt you so much. How can someone grow up to be so full of, I was going to say hate, but I don't think hate's the right word. She's um, just cruel. She's cruel, just so cruelty. cruel. She's yeah, so cruel. Yeah. How can someone ever become like that? Um, what has happened to them? You know, to sort yeah. of go walk in those shoes, no matter how dirty and ill-fitting those shoes may be. I appreciate that. I think um, <clears throat> a lot of the things that happened, my experiences in my childhood, have led me to very black and white thinking. I've been working on that a lot with all my therapists, you know, <laughs> and I am self-aware enough to know when I'm doing it. It makes total sense that forgiveness, I'm probably still in the black and white area and I just need to, you know, inch more towards the middle and figure that out. Um, but I, I can be curious. That's mm. one thing I can yeah, do. Fantastic. I definitely can do that. Yeah. I once talked to a psychologist and I said, who, who does the best in therapy? And she said, people who are miserable and curious. Yes. <laughs> It's yes. that combination, right? It's like just one or the other. Mm, it's hard to yeah. get motivated. <laughs> but uh, Right, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I know you came into this already knowing a lot. Is there anything that's sticking with you that was helpful? No, I mean, just kind of like dismantling what that societal expectation is or whatever even my expectation of forgiveness is and being more curious about it and um, seeing it as a skill that I need to improve, um, that I can learn and I can improve. Um, I've never even thought about it like that before. Finding an entrance for compassion, you know, and I feel like I have that already. So I feel like um, I can just follow that, follow that little door and see where that can get me. Um, because like they say, hurt people hurt people, and she is a very hurt person. Yeah, right. And the second part of that quote is, healed people heal people. Yeah. So it's yeah. not the end. I haven't heard this before, healed people heal people. And it's just so true. Um, and sharing your story is, I think, a part of it. I can't overstate how powerful that is because... Nobody's got exactly your story, but thousands and thousands of people will listen and connect with something that you've said. So I, I want to thank you, TJ, for bringing us this question. Yeah. Thank you, TJ, so much for all you've shared. Thank you so much. You've incredibly, immensely helped me figure out some stuff. <laughs> If you'd like to check out any of the Forgiveness Project stories or tools, we'll link to the site in the show notes. That's also where you can find Marina's new book, Forgiveness and Exploration. What about you? Do you have a forgiveness story of your own? Or maybe a story of being forgiven? We'd love to hear from you. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. That's the how-to hotline where TJ first reached us. And we're always open, waiting for your call. 646-495-4001. And if there's someone in your life who you think could use this advice or any other tips, send them our way. How-to's executive producer is Derek John. 
Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is Senior Technical Director. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.